Hey everybody, welcome to a, Video Night. What? It, it was a dark and stormy night when I walked into the oh. offices of Michael Cook. What's going on? I'm hard-boiled. Oh boy. I'm hard-boiled Michael Cook. All right. <laughs> Tough guy. <laughs> I don't know how to narrate my own version of this. <laughs> Just try it. She walked into my office. She was wearing like, hey, clogs. you misgendered me, buddy. <laughs> what? You misgendered me, I don't give a shit. <laughs> he walked into my <laughs> office wearing clogs and a kilt. It's kind of true. And I'm wearing a moose hat. <laughs> and I was wondering what was going on. I don't know how to do this. <laughs> I walked into his office wearing Crocs, not clogs. <laughs> he wasn't a real man because he wore Crocs. <laughs> Hey, the irony is that I've this is time. there's only two genres of novels that I've ever really like got into. One was sword and sorcery, uh, more of the Robert E. Howard style, and okay. and pulp detective novels. I have read so many pulp detective novels; it's the most I've read of any genre. And yet, Did you get into the uh, the hard case crimes. Yes, definitely. That's what okay. started it all for me because I was um, a library shelver. This is like 2005. And I would just go through that stuff, and I was like, this is a cool title, and I've always been interested in reading this. And then you find out some of the comic book writers that were popular now were, that's where they started. You know, like Andrew Vox and uh, Brian Michael Bendis. A lot of these guys started off in that genre. Either they did graphic novels in noir, or they came from, you know, uh, like Brian, well, no, Brad Meltzer's, I guess, not noir. His is more like political thrillers. But it just, it kind of captured my attention, so I started going through a lot of that genre pulpy stuff yeah charlie houston is my favorite writer of all time i don't know what happened to him he must have just froze about a decade ago but he mm. really got me into the genre he's like a newer uh more extreme like when you're talking about right before we recorded is running scared i would say he writes like the way wayne kramer directs that movie okay yeah yeah i wanted to mention running scared uh straight out because we've already covered it we love it but it is um more graphic novel approach to uh, I, I guess I think about storyboards and stuff when you have comic books and there's a certain kind of graphic novel way things are done um, Darwin Cook did a book series from from Parker uh, the Par- Barker excuse me the Parker series um, and that, that had a movie adapt- a few movie adaptations Three. too um, the latest one was uh, a Jason Statham flick, but uh, it's not that great. I met Leopold Stratton, who produced that movie, um, and he was producing it while I met him. And he he is a ice cream store owner in Savannah. <laughs> it's called Leopold's. His uh-huh. name is Leopold Stratton, and um, I was like, oh yeah, I know I know that character because I had the Darwin Cook books and he was really actually quite impressed that i knew anything about it because to him as a producer he just thought that it was a good story with potential for jason statham to carry it and all that and be kind of like that uh miami-based thriller sort of thing but some kid not really kid to him a kid uh just knows about this pulp character yeah it was pretty cool for him yeah, and the, the ice cream is like the best ice cream I've ever had. By the oh way. wow, rum bisque, and they make it there. It, it's so delightful. I love it. Anyway, <clears throat> Leopold's. So, running scared though, uh, graphic novel wise, that's kind of the approach that Kramer took to it because there's so many setups that are like very storyboarded. The whole movie's storyboarded, and it's beautiful to look at. But it's also a really gritty and grimy story, too, which is key for these. Yeah, it's usually... we're. I really didn't think there was a lot of modern noir, but you made me realize that there's action noir, which is more of a newer genre, because... Yeah. And most of it's like yeah. the hard-boiled detective. There's a few action sequences. Most of it's about a mystery. Yeah. But I didn't realize that, like, post-pulp fiction, which clearly is influenced by some noir... And, and what yeah. I mean is called pulp fiction for Pete's sake. It's but, called pulp, and it's pulp from the same sources, sort of. Yeah, yeah. but that kind of moved it ahead. There's like, like nowadays, there's like the Coen Brothers, where it's kind of eccentric, weird, uh, more slow moving noir. But then there's the more action noir, and that's what most of these movies fall under, where it's uh, 
I think it has more of a comic book flavor to it. Yeah. Maybe some yeah, European um, influence uh, on uh, a couple of these movies. Yes, you said in European influence. That's the first one, Salt and Sea. Yeah. I, I think this is very, uh, if anything, Danny Boyle influenced. It has a, a okay, train, train spotting feel to it without being train spotting. Without even going too close to train spotting, it just has this sort of uh, the side characters. They're all druggies, and it explores some of their little fun moments in their horrible druggy lives, which reminded me of, hey, why don't we just uh, lean in a little train spotting into this? Right. Is DJ Crusoe English director or is he American director? I think he's American. Pretty sure he's American. American, yeah. Yeah, so he must have just had some influence from seeing those movies, you know, brought Dude, over here. That that movie is so great. It was marketed, Train Spotting was marketed to the American audiences as a dodgy scam movie. And it really wasn't that. But the marketing for it said it was a crime thriller. There is crime. I don't know if it's too much thriller. There is a situation that you could manipulate in a trailer to seem that way. And that's how it was marketed here. So obviously, like, there's some some stuff that's going to influence some later directors. And DJ Crusoe, I don't know if I like his full career so far, but I really like his Out the Gate, which is this movie. Yeah. Well, he looks like he has, um, oh, doggone it. He directed 310 to Yuma and Logan and uh, uh, Copland. No, 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 no. What? That's not him. No, That's I'm, not I'm trying to remember Russo. the director who does all those. Oh. He has a similar bounce around <laughs> like he does. Because it looks like DJ Caruso uh, is trying to touch on every genre the way that director does. What the hell is the name of that director of Logan? Darn it. But you know what I'm talking about. Like, every movie is like a pivot. It, it's, it connects in some way to a previous Mangold. film. James Mangold, thank you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but that's yeah. why, like, their movies always kind of pivot to, like, well, it's kind of connected to the previous film, but it, it keeps moving ahead. Like, Salt and Sea moves to Taking Lives, um, which are more, more darker mystery movies. And then Two for the Money takes the darker tone, but it moves it over to Gambling. And then he moves to Disturbia, which is, like, a, a Hitchcockian film. And just each, each Totally, pivot. like, it, I think they were sued uh, about Disturbia because of Rear Window. It's very exactly Rear Window for Suburbia. Yeah. Audiences. Did I ever tell you the story too. that uh, Wes Craven was offered Disturbia by DreamWorks and he said no, he didn't want to do anything that was too Hitchcockian, and then came back in the next month with an idea that was exactly the same as Disturbia? And they're like, what the? What? And what was that movie? I, it never got made. Oh, it never got made, okay. Yeah. But then he goes and does Red Eye, which is also Hitchcockian, so. Yeah, weird, huh? Right? I don't want to do anything too Hitchcockian. Uh, I should. Really, actually. But I'm looking at this, and I guess you can see some of uh, the influence from his mentor, which was uh, John Badham. He was the second unit director on Point of No Return, Drop Zone, and Nick of Time. All right, I like Nick of Time. That's actually a good noir. Yeah, it is good. A, man. Oh, now I wish, wish we had done that. Dang, <laughs> let's just touch it right now. Let's <laughs> no, 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 right no. Now. We'll figure it Nick out. Nick of Time. No, I'm just letting okay. people know. Nick of Time. Johnny Depp, before you guys were all sick of him. And... Uh, Christopher Walken. Johnny Depp's got a got an impossible task, which is to assassinate someone, uh, and he's just a dad. Yeah, he's just a normal uh, dude, and it's all in you know real time. Real time, yeah, yeah, it's all in real time, and it's such a good movie. Now that one's good. I don't like Point of No Return at all. The Femme Nikita remake without any visually interesting anything. It's just boring in comparison to yeah. the original uh, anyway uh, Salt and Sea stars Val Kilmer <sighs> very cool Val Kilmer he plays two people one person having two identities one of them is deep undercover and the other one is a heartbroken man whose wife is murdered in front of his eyes thus this is a revenge tale yeah, it's we, we talked about this on Twitter briefly, but I really don't understand how his supposed comeback failed so badly. Because remember, he took like two years off, came back with Red Planet, uh, then Salt and Sea, Wonderland, um, 
Spartan, which I'm a huge fan of, and then Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and every single last one of them failed. And it just well, so disappointed. With Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, dude, that could actually be a, a modern noir as well. Um, but it's also a Christmas movie, so no. Uh, <clears throat> not on this list, anyway. Um, Shane Black's movies are always cult. The only ones that actually super hit have a major... Um, of their time star. So, like, if Val Kilmer did Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, let's say, in 95, it would have been huge. Would have been more successful. Yeah. And thus a hit. But <clears throat> you have, I don't know, you have this uh, two two unbankable stars. This was after Val Kilmer was uh, a, a problem on the sets of various movies, especially... Frankenheimer's. What was that? Um, oh, right. Island of uh, Dr. Island of Moreau. Dr. Moreau. Well, not Frankenheimer's. John, uh, Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau. He was a he was a problem. It was him and Marlon Brando. Basically, let's see who can sabotage this movie the, the quickest. <laughs> An unspoken challenge amongst each other, I suppose. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I guess he burned himself down. I guess he was extremely difficult on... Um, what's that movie where he, has, he, he, he loses at first sight? I remember reading stories saying that he was just impossible to work with on that movie, and that's kind of made him go away for a few while, a few years, whatever. And then uh, when he came back, I think a lot of people were they afraid just, of casting him. Well, that, but like, also like uh, the audience has a has a short term memory. Yeah, we, we really do. Un- unless you're hammered over and over with the character or actor, we don't. The the audience in general, we don't care. Give us give us a new version. Give us something different. Anyway, the audiences are weird. I really like this movie. It is a revenge film, and Vincent D'Onofrio is Holy. a formidable, yes. um, terrible character, a villain um, with a with a fake nose because uh, too much meth or something. And he, yeah, he, he did too much gack. Is what he says. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, um, so he has this fake nose. And so they have a moment, uh, a Empire Strikes Back moment with the helmet off. Yeah. But it's actually him putting his nose on. Um, Boy, yeah, that's so, special effect. For 2002, it really held up. It's not yeah. It's not makeup. Yeah. It is digital, and yet somehow they did it in such a clever way that it works. Yeah. Um, problem with this movie is big time is that it's not on blu-ray at all and it's really upsetting yeah not even the, uh, you think Warner archive would somehow dig this up and put it out on their website yeah. right so the cast is pretty great um sarsgaard really is just such a sympathetic character he, yeah okay look i don't like him peter sarsgaard in movies i typically don't like i really find him to be uh, kind of like a not Smar- necessarily smarmy annoying. and scummy <laughs> yeah scummy yes very scummy most of the time and here he's just so he's a little puppy uh he's part of the train spotting aspect of the story he's kind of like spud in that way um he's like a little puppy who's who's latched on to val kilmer and val kilmer's got this goal and he can't have this scummy little puppy next to him but he still cares about him because this is a guy that's just a broken dude he's not evil um you also have doug hutchinson from x-files fame Louis Guzman, Anthony LaPaglia, Glenn Plummer's standout always, whatever you put in front of him, he'll do a knockout of, and it'll only be five minutes worth of the yeah, film. Yeah, he really just shines in this, and he cut off his uh, trademark, uh, Dreadlocks. Yeah, in, in most movies that he's in, he, you know, we did Thursday a long time ago, too. That's one of the Tarantino Oh, novels. man, I forgot about that. Yeah. That would have worked on this list as well. Uh, but um, all that stuff, I, I would say, is pulp. But, yeah, he was in that. And his scene in that was a lot longer than this one. But uh, how difficult was it for you to follow Glenn Plummer's <laughs> dialogue? Oh, wow. Yeah, it was... Well, I mean, I, here's the thing is... Um, I live in the, the state capital, and this is where the mental hospital is, and when the mental hospital releases their patients back to the wild, uh, they tend to reside over here. We're in the poor side of Salem, 
And so I deal with crazy every day. Every single last day they come into our store and I have to figure out what to do with them. Are they dangerous? Are they just lost? Are they going to do something just completely crazy? Can I not understand them? And that was, listening to his conversation, it's exactly what I deal with almost every day. Oh, gosh. So you got a leg up on me, I suppose. (laughs) Because I'm sitting there like, I've seen this a few times. I have the DVD. That's how tried and true I am, yo. Okay, so but, I'm a cheap jerk and I put it on my voodoo. Whatever. I like <laughs> to share my movies. Come on, man. But uh, I, I love this film. Um, it's a it's a bittersweet story, too. It's got a, it's got a somewhat of a down ending. Yeah. Val Kilmer's very um, soft-spoken most of the time in this, which is really I, interesting. What for me is it's a soulful performance. It maybe has his mo- the most heart of anything that he's ever done because he usually kind of does big or smarmy, and 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 this is really subtle and uh, introverted, I guess, for him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, good. I, I think we're we're both agree that Salt and Sea is pretty damn good. Yes, and I'm terrified of honey badgers now. <laughs> I didn't know that they were so vicious. Oh my god. Not even from the internet a few years ago. I know, ago. but no, that, that's different, care. though. I saw a little bit of that, but I thought it was just kind of like jokey. But the way they film this, I'm like, no, 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 no. Keep a honey badger away from me. Okay. So the next film, um, Frank Miller's Sin City. I really like, however, I watched it again. Not even the recut. Uh, I, I have both. I have the theatrical uh, and the recut. Um, oh, I didn't realize there's two different cuts. Yeah, there's a theatrical, that's the one that we all saw, and the recut, which is special edition DVD only, but that came with the Sin City uh, graphic novel as well. Um, I didn't watch the recut. I watched, I mean this time, but I watched the whole thing, and I got to tell you, it's just way long. Yo, I didn't it notice it before. Be a it's, I'm, I'm shocked that you said that because I was thinking that, and I was like, "Oh, Andrew's going to think I just have a short attention span," which I do. No, but I sat there going, "Man, they could have trimmed 20 minutes off of this thing." Easily. Not just that; they they should have made it really an anthology, like they with with in mind. They should have really just had, however many minutes 90 is of the story. So let's just say three or four stories. Let's just say three stories. Really expand them, make them as good as they can be for 90 minutes. Then have three more stories for the next film. You have a bunch that you could actually do and release in a short amount of time. So you could release it uh, closer when they released it, than the and sequel? Then six months I mean, later. You're, you're saying this, but there was a sequel. It, so it is an anthology. Yeah, but it was 10 years later. No, why did it take so long? I don't get it. Was they, were they this just that busy? Saying, this is why I'm saying there was no foresight or, or they weren't thinking right. Or maybe it was something to do with the Weinsteins or something. Maybe. I don't know. But it looked like, you know, he put more focus on, like, trying to turn uh, uh, Grindhouse into a, a long franchise in, instead of, you know, Sin City. Yeah, with the mariachi, uh, not mariachi. That's another franchise that he did that I love. Um, the uh, with Machete, which yeah. I only really like the first one. The second one is audacious, and Don't I haven't look, seen it since yeah. the theatrical run. But I don't, I don't know about Machete. I like the first one, uh, but this uh, the very first clip is actually just the test that they shot that's for. what i was wondering I, I it felt like it was something that you would show to the studio to say hey this is that's how we can do it what it was look. okay that's, that makes that's, sense now that's exactly what it was marley shelton and josh hartnett and uh josh hartnett's being all super charming and everything as he usually is as we will later learn again yeah oh i heard um, on a podcast recently they were talking about people they tried to make stars but it never happened and I was like, first off, Josh Hartnett was a star. And two, <laughs> they said he was a terrible actor. And I was like, whoa, 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 hit the brakes. What? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of opinions uh, that, that we folk, uh, the, the internet podcasters, have that are just stupid. They're just off-base and stupid, and they're very singular to their personality. They're not really objective. Uh, you might not like him because he's too handsome to you and you're jealous of it or something like that might get into your craw and bug yeah. you about an actor. You know what? Let me go. Besides, this, this is to illustrate my point. I used to not like... In Bruges is another good one. Damn. 
Oh, you, you've been trying to convince me to watch that. And what's the other one that he did after that? Seven Psychopaths? i got to get around to watching yeah. it someday. Yes, yes, yes. But Colin Farrell was an actor. I couldn't stand. I just couldn't stand him. One of the reasons why is because I saw, you know, the the uh, uh, the text noir, um, what was it, Spielberg's Minority Report. Yeah, I and, he drove me nuts in Daredevil. He really ruined that well, movie. Well, that's the second part. The first part was... I was like, that should have been Brad Pitt because he's acting like Brad Pitt in this movie. He's doing the Brad Pitt delivery. That's when Brad Pitt is decent. That's what Colin Farrell was doing. So I was like, no. And then, um, you know, I think I think pop culture started latching onto him and being like, Colin Farrell, Colin Farrell. And I was like, no, uh, stop it because I tend to go the opposite way. So there's stupid proclivities that I have. And then there's that movie, the Daredevil that you just said holy crap that was a terrible like why did he do that but he was trying something it just didn't stick right well he does almost the same thing for fright i can't believe we're on this but screw it it's a sidebar um yeah uh he does a similar performance in fright night and at first i was annoyed by it until i realized that he was just a hungry shark that he was doing Ah. yeah that's that's his personality i was like okay so colin farrow's just nah you're you're getting to what my point is. You just actually said my part, which was about Fright Night, when I realized that Colin Farrell, apart from being a good-looking man, is an actually solid, good actor. Not every movie he's going to make is great, but Fright Night was the turn for me because, yes, he was a junkie shark trying to act human. And so that was the turn. The, another one was uh, Paul Walker with the aforementioned running scared. I was like, how did he act? I know, yeah. I was movie? Before that, I thought he was just a pretty boy. And I was like, they're just trying to force him to be a star or whatever. They've been, you know, he paid his dues kind of thing. Like, he was in this and this and this, and they were all successful, so it's time to give him a shot. But then he just totally proved himself the running scared, and sadly, it didn't make any money. Most of these movies don't make any money. Noir is a very niche audience, and it rarely breaks out. Well, this one broke out. Yeah, this, this is one of the sole out. hits. And this opened up, I it's, think, the field for another decade of this kind of movie. It's one of the early backlot films, digital backlot films. And um, that's stupid for me to just say backlot. Green screen? Every movie's a backlot <laughs> film. <laughs> digital backlot film, $40 million, shot probably, I think, mostly in Austin. And then uh, the box office is 160 million that's a decent turnover yeah you know it's amazing how no one um, wanted to see the sequel though <laughs> i remember when it opened they were like it made six million i was like oh my god that's way lower than the first wow yeah so this has jessica alba benicio del toro Brittany murphy clive owen mickey rourke bruce willis eliza wood and as we mentioned josh hartnett and the bookend uh element oh. those two two scenes at the beginning yeah and at the end um, yeah, uh, this isn't a starring role of Josh Hartman. It's just a wink and a nod, really, a good cameo. But um, the film, holy crap, it's they all kind of interweave, which is a nice thing about these little stories, because there are a bunch of different little stories. All yeah, I don't like, the one problem I always have with anthology movies is either it's like a, a, a bare tissue connecting the muscles, or mm-hmm. there's no connection whatsoever, and it has a wraparound story, and I don't, I don't really care. But these, this finds a way to make all the stories somehow interrelated, and it's really complicated. But he doesn't more of a Tarantino book. I never read the comic, so I don't know if it's really lined out that way. Wasn't it like single stories, like separated? They weren't. All... Yeah, they're single stories, and sometimes uh, overlapping characters. And when the overlapping characters happen, that's when the connective tissue is. Yeah. So also Devin Aoki is in it as uh, they gave her a moment in cinema to make her uh, a star in Too Fast, Too Furious. Uh, what's the other one? This movie and DOA. Yeah, Debs. I Did you see DOA? No, I remember seeing it on like, years and years ago, but I can't remember it. It's just a tournament movie, a, a Chopsaki tournament yeah, movie. With with a girl Power and hot a, a tongue-in-cheek, yeah. I think, right? Yeah, very tongue-in-cheek. Um, Alexis Bledel from Gilmore Girls, Powers Booth, Rosario Dawson, Rosario Dawson, Rutger Howard, 
Side, side note, LB always goes, Rosario Dawson, whenever she sees her name. Yeah. Or just her show up because there's a song um, by Bullets uh, that this homeless man sees Rosario Dawson on the street in his music video. And he goes, Rosario Dawson, Rosario Dawson. And then he presses play on this uh, jukebox and does, does some video continues with the music and everything. It's really funny, though. Do you think so of the three Michael stories, do you feel of the three stories, I think the one that isn't as showy and the one that people talk about is the best story. I really do think the Clive Owen Rosario Dawson story is the most dense. Uh, it's the one that has the most stakes, it seems. Yeah, it's just, well, it's also not as showy. There seems like there's a big thing going on, but it's so simplistic in the Bruce Willis and Mickey Rourke stories. Well, right. Well, I mean, those ones are the ones that are most graphically intense, I suppose. Yeah. Because it's all following the graphic novel. So literally, the graphic novel serves, or the series, however you put it, um, serves as storyboards. So it's pretty great that way. Uh, And you mentioned Rutger Howard. He plays a priest, uh, Cardinal Patrick Henry Rourke, whose son is... A murderer. So, anyway, yeah, this is pretty good. I think it's artistically great, and I think um, Frank Miller, when he wanted to do the Spirit, which could have been on this list, uh, thank God it's not because terrible movie. (laughs) It's bad, but it has the same visual approach, and it's a good-looking film. It's like they did all the work on this movie and then said, "Frank Miller, go make your Spirit," but. It's a dumb script, and who cares about the story and whatever? But yeah, all the well, it's nothing like the Frank. spirit, though. That's the thing. It's Frank Miller's the spirit, not not um, shit. Who created the spirit? Eisner? Well, yeah, yeah. well Eisner, but you know Darren Cook is just to bring him up again. He took over the spirit and he made it true to the the original. Whereas Frank Miller, and I'm going to say something controversial here. I don't like Frank Miller. I think a lot of his stuff is just narcissistic, pessimistic bullshit. Uh, what he did with Batman was a necessary evil, is, is how I'm going to put it. Uh, his run on Daredevil is truly amazing. It stands out. It's still amazing. But what he did with Batman was something that needed to be done because they had to grow up comics. But then he just took it so far, and I just so boring. And those Robocop scripts are terrible. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, you can see they're compromised all you want. But I'm telling you, the bones are there, and they're laid by Frank Miller, and it's not good. He doesn't get it. Yeah, I uh yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm not going to argue Frank Miller because I'm I'm not I don't have a dog in the hunt too much. I yeah. think sometimes he's really uh, sardonic and the sar- sardonic nature of his stuff works sometimes. But uh, his Robocop stuff is really it doesn't it's it's like it puts me in a bad mood. Yep. Definitely. That's and I want to be in a good mood with my fascist robot cop. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, I'll say this: uh, if he had not stuck to the original vision and made this in color, it would look terrible. The black and white is what makes the special effects still hold up. Because yeah, considering well, how he makes some of the of visuals that he does, seem like they're so complicated. And if you had done it in color, it wouldn't have been convincing in any way whatsoever. Yeah. Okay. So we didn't mention the director. <laughs> we just mentioned he. It was Gary Marshall. <laughs> <'Cause>... <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. That would be funny, though. Uh, it's all sitcom style. Uh, anyway, uh, we're going to do it. <laughs> Welcome to Sin City. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> it's, it's a bunch of prostitutes arm in arm walking down the street. <laughs> we're going to do that. that song. <laughs> we're going to like, do them in. Guns and everything. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah. Oh, one other thing. The Benicio Del Toro car chase, car ride scene was directed by Quentin Tarantino. Can I, can I tell you something? That uh, ever since this whole COVID thing started, I've been referring to him as Quentin Quarantino. That's cute. <laughs> I know, I don't know why. I just watched a lot of Quentin I, Tarantino while I was stuck in the house. <laughs> I, I was on uh, Letterboxd. And somebody made a review about a Tarantino thing, the latest Tarantino movie. And 
they call them Quantum Toronto. <laughs> and and I like that so much that I turned that into a T-shirt. You can buy it at my Tee Public site. Look up Jemetsko. Quantum Toronto. So there's all these shirts that are going around that say written and directed by David Lynch, written and directed by De Palma, written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. So I did written and directed by Quantum Toronto. So there's that plug. Yeah, I, I didn't know how to respond. I was like, awkward. you laughed. Now you're laughing like a drawstring doll. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Lucky number seven. The next year, Josh Hartnett went on to actually star in a film by Paul McGuinn. Mc, McGuinn. McGuinn. How do you say it? McGuinn. Gangster number one's director, Brit. Yeah. Did they Scottish, get uh, Wicker Park like a couple years before this? Right? Yeah, Wicker Park 2004. He did another movie called The Reckoning, which is a detective movie, but about a play troupe in the medieval times, and they have to uncover who did the murder, who done it. It's a big who done it in medieval times called The Reckoning. That's a. Uh, not neo-noir, <laughs> a.k.a. morality play. Willem Dafoe, Paul Bettany, Tom Hardy are in it. But he, so he's, oh, also he started off, his whole career got launched doing The Acid House, which is an Irvin Welsh short story collection. Irvin Welsh did Trainspotting, just the oh, okay. Trainspotting, yeah. I, I That's the very first thing of his that I ever saw. Some of it's pretty fun, some of it's... Uh, obnoxious and tedious but let's go to lucky number 11 which is arguably i think his tightest and kind of for being a revenge film noir thriller sort of thing neo noir it's kind of calm yeah it's it's very character and dialogue based there is action but it's it's so short and precise and to the point and this is during where we're still having like the overflow of too much Tarantino influence, too much Matrix uh, Wachowski's uh, influence, uh, John Woo, and this rejects all of that. It's very just to the point, no slow mo, no wild, crazy scenes. It does what it does, and it's very efficient. Yeah, it's tight and nice, uh, and you have incredibly likable characters. You do have uh, a extended cameo with bruce willis yeah it's, hitman. is that the first you know, time that he was a gun for hire or i mean i didn't mean that as a joke sorry but did it <laughs> that was accidental <laughs> I, I don't know i don't know if he, if he was a hitman in any other movie but my point is he's he's subtle here but you can tell that he's actually doing the job doing yeah. the work but no no, no i'm not saying in. playing a hitman i'm saying the first time that he got hired for just like what looks like three days of work where he just took oh. a big paycheck for just a little bit Maybe I don't know, but it's it's all good what he did. Yeah, not now good. though. What he's doing now, man, he does not care. Yeah, phone. <laughs> Here's the phone. Uh, you want to just phone it in? Yeah. And now he can do everything via FaceTime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Put a green screen behind him. Uh, Morgan Freeman plays the big bad boss. Uh, ben Kingsley plays another big bad boss. It's a play between both of them to uh, actually kill them it's another revenge story stanley tucci is in this and stanley tucci's character kind of pops up he's there and then later it's revealed the actor fully and i was like wait what that's i didn't know tucci was in this even though i've seen this movie <laughs> you know um danny aiello has a part in it and lucy Liu, ever charming she's cool in this yeah I really liked how organic that character, uh, that interplay was between the two. It's really nice. The, and she uh, doesn't play anybody with a gun or any badassery. No, that's so weird. Yeah, she's a normal person, which is one of the few times she's done that. And she's not like the... There's there's a tendency to either make her a badass or the quirky pixie... What is it called? Maniac pixie girl? Manic, manic pixie manic. dream girl. Yeah. I, I would say that she's, she's like not a manic pixie dream girl in this, but she is... Um, a very pleasant woman. She's also a coroner, which you don't expect either. When that reveal, 
But yeah, well, the movie's complicated, but not in the way that you think it is. Because mm. it's about not telling you details is why it's complicated. Because when you get the reveals, you're like, oh, this is denser and denser and denser as they reveal things. But it's not yeah. a complicated way of telling the story where you can get lost. Right, right. And But back to her character, she's not playing it like Manic Pixie, but she is playing it with character, with, with flair, with like a sort of like a playfulness. That's it. That's the term playful because yeah. she's constantly playful with josh hartnett and he's constantly at the beginning of their relationship being like i i know i shouldn't at all hang out with this chick but she's cool like you hear this hesitance and see this hesitance as he's saying the lines it's pretty good yeah and, and josh yeah. hartnett here i think is very good uh playing on different levels based on the character that he is trying to be and then who he really is uh mm-hmm and I just I think he's really underappreciated. I still think his best performance is Thirty Days of Night, but this is a close second for me. Okay, <clears throat> let me ask you though, plot wise, do you think do you really buy that that kid would really um, Black Canary the way he did? What the hell's Black Canary? You mean like Isn't the it Black Canary? You mean the DC yeah, the, character? The DC character, yeah. Have you seen the? Uh, I'm just referencing some pop culture crap right now. Okay plot point you know black canary she's her parents get killed right in front of her then she gets taken in by some criminal who was there on the scene and that he and his parents teach her how to be an assassin that's her story i never knew that about black canary in birds of prey it is oops oh i haven't seen the movie wait not black canary who wait who's who's mary elizabeth winston no that's black canary yeah Okay, I was then, thinking, yeah. I was thinking Black Canary because she's also a character in uh, uh, the Arrow TV show. And man, having too many versions of this is really starting to get annoying. DC, please do this Flashpoint movie and then make one streamlined world because you're making me mad. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, my point is, do you think the little kid in this movie would actually grow up to be the way that he did? Well, no, I don't buy it, but I also because don't he believe was such he's a Josh Hartnett. Because look at the oh. year they say it is. He would be almost forty. Well, hey, I don't look too terrible in 2007, 6. I was looking like a little kid still. You know? I guess, but if you weren't, you weren't, how old was he in 1978? That's when it takes place, right? The flashback is 1978. All right, all right. Okay, I get it. I get it. I get what you're saying. I wasn't that old in 1978. No, because wasn't he like 10 in 1978? That means he was born in 1968. I'm like, Josh Hartnett's younger than me, clearly born in the 80s. I know that kind of stuff always annoys me when it's not believable. Okay, no, I, I get you. I get what you're saying. Yeah, but I do feel it's the only thing that's so pat uh, for me is how it all comes together. And I was like, wow, those steps coming together. And I'm not really buying that Bruce Willis really would have taken care of him, taught him. You know, I don't know. A gun for hire is usually supposed to be a professional and not like he could have saved the kid. But why would he teach him to? Do, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, here, so but there's it's, a, a, not certain it. machinations of the of the plot that on paper you got to go with. You just got to go with it. But beyond the gotting to go with it, yeah, this film is pretty nice and tight. I like it. Yeah. It was supposed to be a big hit, too. I remember they talked about this like it was going to be the hottest movie of the spring. The critics loved it. The hype was huge. They, they promoted the crap out of it. And then I think what made like $24 million, which isn't a bomb. But I was like, oh, I'm expecting like, you know, Pulp Fiction numbers the way they're talking about this. I just think that the noir, neo noir, is uh, not. It's a niche. Yeah, I mean the the money it made that makes sense. People, but the way they sold it as being like the coolest thing ever was hype, just pure hype. Yeah, people people say it, it's well loved neo noir, but it's it's only well loved after the fact. Yeah. Well, the, our last film is one that was just dumped. I mean, it's like they washed their hands of it. They barely released it. Well, I mean, they released it, but they released barely promoted in it. When March. It they got past February. Yeah. <laughs> Released March 8th. I got to tell you this, though. Dead Man Down, 2013, American neo-noir thriller by the director of Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, not Fincher, the original. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, Niels Arden Oplev, right? He can do a solid flick. If you've ever seen the other uh, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, Hornet's Nest, and so on, his versions, they're tight. They're good. Yeah, I've never seen any of them. Okay, they're all good. They could actually easily fit into this, but they're also geopolitical thrillers too. <clears throat> Some of them. Um, anyway, 
I was a mentor to this kid who was, uh, his dad was a Marvel dad or a comics dad. In fact, he, he primarily Marvel, but they were DC as well. He collects Funko Pops and all that junk. And when they told me that he watched Dead Man Down, I was proud. They like went to the theater and saw it. And I was like, kid, dude, all right, what'd you think? And he's like, meh, meh, <laughs> didn't really get into it. Trailer made it look more exciting. I don't know. I'm like, well, okay, you're raised on Star Wars, Marvel movies, and DC movies. So, of course, you're going to think that this thing is, uh, meh, you know? So that's my little story about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but revenge seems to be what a lot of noir films, neo-noir, etc., it's either like, oh, how did this happen to me? I've got to figure that out. Yeah, or, well, or detective, which we didn't touch upon really in this yeah, one. Yeah, detective thing. Or revenge, you know. Yeah, I've got, Sin City is both. It's it's everything. It's revenge and detective. The, the rest of these are all revenge. Yeah, when you, you know? said this one was noir, I wasn't really, I was like, oh, and then the last one too, I was like, are these noir? But you're right, it, but they also look different. This, Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they you... don't always follow the Coen brothers, uh, make it look legit, Yeah, like it was a noir film from a long time ago type thing. It doesn't follow that, but it is, it follows like looking at Wikipedia it says neo-noir crime thriller. Right. Well, yeah. also, it doesn't look like classic noir. What it looks like is it's influenced by 80s uh, thrillers. You know, it has that look of, like, Black Rain and... and, and A Frankenheimer like, movie? Like, yeah, 52 but also, pickup? I don't think people really think about it as uh, that way, but the first Lethal Weapon was filmed. And the same thing for Die Hard, were filmed, uh, like, more noir. They're using a lot of shadows of light and the way they... Uh, the way they set things up is more of a thriller. Right. Okay. But I yeah. see that so, influence what, on this. Yeah, that's sorry. Well, neo, well, neo, not neo noir. It seems to be so ubiquitous. It's, it's like part of crime thriller tapestry. Like we don't even know that it's neo noir. We just think it as a crime thriller. People are calling it crime thriller. But when you really look at what noir was, you update it. It looks like that. It looks like what we got now. Dead Man Down. <clears throat> I absolutely And Dead Man Down is a nice tapestry as well. Yeah, I held off from watching this. I saw about five minutes of it like when it first came out, and I just never got back to it. I just never really cared. It, I, I heard it bombed. It was a WWE production, oh which my God. confuses like, me. Yeah, um, it's got it's got peripheral stunt performers who are wrestlers. Do they? Because I kept looking for a wrestler, but I also don't know it has about the wrestling heavies. world anymore. Right. It's got heavies in certain scenes, big dudes that are wrestlers. That's how they did it. Okay. <laughs> they're not actors. They're not characters. They're, they're just fodder for fighting. So, but you held off on this and then I suggested it and you're like, okay, fine. Yeah. And I absolutely love it. This is my favorite yeah. before. Well, no, Salt and Sea is still my favorite, but it was, it was Salt such a surprise yeah. though that I was ecstatic. Yeah. Okay. What were you excited about? I don't well, know. Gotcha. It's just that it all came together. The action sequences were really efficient and uh, entertaining. The camera didn't shake the entire time, which is what the curse of action movies for the last 20 years has been. Um, I thought Colin Farrell's performance was fantastic. And, and, and what is her name? Naomi Rapace? Numi. Numi, Numi Rapace. Rapace. I think she's fantastic. I was truly yes. wowed by her performance. And she has that hideous scar on her face, or that's what they say, hideous. I saw well, she... Well, it, it would... Come she, on. It would be hideous, gorgeous. but... Gorgeous. She's a beautiful woman, yes. but it would be hideous if you were already a beautiful person, and then you get this scar that people are going to look at you and go, with, "With you really didn't earn their sympathy either." But they're going to look at you and go, "Oh, what's oh, what happened, poor thing?" And it's kind of condescending. So that's always a kind of burden on her, you yeah. know? Yeah. And she's angry about how she got in the first place, and that's a big driving point in this. Because Colin Farrell has his own story, but she has hers too, and she's using him right. to get her yeah. satisfaction. That's, but that's like you're like, oh, they're 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 meet cuting and all this stuff, and they're gonna out on a dinner, and then what blackmail? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's such a surprise when it happens. It's totally like, oh, noir. That, like yeah. you speak of it, it's a noir film. You know, she, think about it, blackmail. She, 
Yeah, she's in a movie with Tom Hardy and James Gandolfini. I can't remember the name of it. Maybe I should just click on this. Hey, how about I do that? That's also a noir film that I think is fantastic. He's like a bartender who gets involved in something, some crime or whatever. The, the uh, Drop? The Drop. Yes, yes. I love The Drop. That was really great. Well, she is actually in a lot of darker noir films. That must be just kind of her thing. Yeah, she's awesome. Child 44, she's... I heard it was really good, but... Uh, um. I guess she's just one of those people that almost became a star, and I think she's worthy of it. I think she's a great actress. Yeah. Um, there's a movie that she did. It's a weird movie. She covered it on my weird show back in the day called Rupture. You should check it out. It's on Prime right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's freaking weird. Good. Uh, but this is the movie we're talking about. You have Dominic Cooper. Also, it's just cute. Because Colin Farrell and Dominic Cooper are friends, and it's, it's in, a, in a way, it mirrors the friendship, in a way, not the same, uh, of Salt and Sea. But Dominic is much more capable. He's actually a capable guy. He's right. He wants to move up the mob ladder, and he's actually being a detective for the mob. It's really interesting how you have the sides of the law, you have investigators. <laughs> You know, you have guys that uh, take it upon themselves to be like a cop and try to figure out who murdered so-and-so. Right. And all these guys are getting knocked off by this anonymous so-and-so who's sending photos and photo pieces. And it's like a uh, you could think of it in a a sort of Batman kind of way. Uh, Like if these guys were the police or government, you know, officials, mayor and whatever. They'd be getting this, and Batman would be on the case. Instead, here, it's Dominic Cooper on the case. Actually, everybody's on the case, and Colin Farrell is Dominic Cooper's buddy. And by the time they have to square off at the end, it's a little, uh, it's a little killer. It's a little John Woo without having to be too John Woo. But the action set pieces in this get bigger and bigger and crazier and crazier until a car goes crashing through a mansion a pickup truck. That's that's kind of a nuts scene. Yeah, but here's the weird thing is that whole action sequence feels so similar to a final sequence in another movie uh, called No Mercy from 1986 with Richard Gere. I kept thinking of that sequence, and it's almost huh. as if there was a weird... I know it might have been coincidental, but it felt like there was an influence there because it's shot in the same way, it has the same setup, um, and I just kept going, wow, this is so much like the end of No Mercy, which is also another noir thriller. Yeah. Yeah, neo noir. Yeah, anything anything in color, post black and white shadow play is neo. Basically. So uh, the cast round out by uh, I mentioned Numi, uh, Terrence Howard, and Isabel Huppert. So this is like an international cast. Right. Well, really I weird. think it was international funding, wasn't it? I am Global is one of those companies that tries to yeah. do deals all over the country or all over the, the the planet, and so they try to do international stars. Original, Frequency, I Am Global, and WWE Studios. So, so weird. They did two movies that aren't really wrestling movies, right? They did this and The Call. And it's just so odd. They make terrible movies. <laughs> These are only two good ones. No, they did Walking Tall and The Run. Oh, you know what? Hold on. I forgot they did those. I'm sorry. Yes, I love Walking Tall with an unwavering, weird passion for such a simple exploitation story. What's The Call? What is that? The Call is that is the only really profitable movie they ever made that's the one with um holly berry where she gets a call from what's that girl from uh, little miss sunshine uh breslin okay. abigail breslin she gets yeah. she's kidnapped and she makes a call to holly berry and she's trying to get her help i don't know much more about it but i know it was successful it was successful that was 13 million dollars and got 68 million dollars yeah. and it was also directed by brad anderson who is a, oh a i like brad anderson director okay yes. then i will see the movie so <laughs> there you go you know, what I was going to say is interesting about Dominic Cooper's uh, character is that if you were just to switch things a little bit and told the movie from his perspective, he'd be the hero. I mean, just yeah. you're, you're, he, you, you're, big, you're like an anti-hero, I guess. But I mean, like he's your protagonist instead. Yeah, he'd be the protagonist. It would be really cool too because it could end the same way, and it would have the very same impact. Yeah, but his is a detective movie where he's trying to piece all this stuff together, and that was fascinating to me. Yeah, that would be an interesting way to. I would, I would, I would like to see that. 
I think that they should make Dead Man Down uh, the other side or something yeah, like that. Yeah, the flip side, just call it the other side. Dead, the other side of the coin. Dead Man Down the other side. Yeah. It's just one sentence. Dead Man Down the other side. No, it wasn't a huge flop. I mean, it, it was the $30 million movie, which I'm sure they sold off the international rights and broke even. It got 18. Yeah. Made 18 million in domestic. Uh, I don't like that the only box office they show as a bottom line is the American domestic. That is annoying, Come right? On. Yeah. Right. Because here's but, the weird thing is I discovered this week, um, I've been going back and watching some Van Damme movies. Apparently, it's a, it's a thing going on right now. I've, I've seen this more than once in the last couple weeks on Twitter. But um, Van Damme was much, much bigger internationally than Seagal ever was, but everybody always put him beneath Seagal. And I'm like, look, what? some of these movies only made like this much money, but he's been a huge star since oh, Death Warrant, I think, made like $60 million internationally. So you're now bringing Van Damme into this because of international, right? Yeah, that's all. Okay, okay. All right. <laughs> I'm not going to go too far as follow. that one. But no, I just, I the international dollars sometimes are completely ignored, and that's why certain actors, that's why Colin Farrell is still a star, because internationally he's still well-received. Yeah. Um, Dom Cooper, etc. All these guys that are now tried and true, that they pop up at stateside, and you're like, oh, who's this guy? But like, you're established yeah uh so dead man down uh that's your number two i suppose i i think that's my number two really honestly as well i think we're even um sin city's probably either what do you think sin city or well the difficulty of sin city makes me admire it a little bit more than lucky number 11 but all these are still i would say three and a half stars up you know out of five yeah 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 uh, good. We're all in agreement. I, I finally, not necessarily finally, but like Dead Man Down. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. It's not one of those where I have to be like, all right, we have to discuss this thing. Uh, Wait, hey, you did that for a second. You're like, I don't know. And I was like, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It. Well, I've been Seriously worried since the it. visitor, okay? I've been really worried. Seriously, watch it. Seriously, <laughs> do it. And then you did, and good. But okay, now you should maybe just for fun on your own time watch the girl with the dragon tattoo movies okay not not the fincher one but the original so you'll have to read them but they're they're oh, dope crap i don't know how to read <laughs> <laughs> so, I, don't, I don't look at the pretty pictures of my comic books <laughs> oh, God. all right so we go <laughs> yeah <laughs> bye everybody bye